0: Don't you love worshiping the Lord? I love worshiping the Lord with you. We are in one of the most beautiful sections in the entire Bible. Uh, we are in the second to last uh, book in the Old Testament. We've been going through the entire uh, Bible, and and it it, lo- it looked like it would take forever to go through Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, those big huge books. It took us years and years. Uh, to get through them. And finally, we're in the Minor Prophets, and it's going like this. Boom, 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 boom. You know, last week we finished Haggai and started Zechariah, and now we're in the second to the last. And in this section that we're in tonight, maybe you've never read these stories before. Maybe this, you know, part of your Bible you've never opened up to before. Maybe never even heard a sermon from this section of the Scripture. But in this section, the section that we're here in tonight, we're going to hear one of the most beautiful stories in the entire Bible, and we're going to hear one of the most important prophecies that point to Jesus Christ, the the proof of who he must uh, be as the uh, Messiah. Uh, So starting there in Zechariah chapter 3, where we left off uh, last week, uh, we read this in verse 1. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of Yahweh, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And Yahweh said to Satan, Yahweh, rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, Yahweh, who has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. This is not a brand delivered from the fire. And now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and standing before the angel. And he answered and spoke to those who were standing before him, saying, Remove the filthy garments from him. Again he said to him, See, I have made your iniquity pass away from you and will clothe you with festal robes. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed them with garments while the angel of Yahweh was standing by. And so, Father, tonight as we approach uh, your majestic word, the truth of who you are, being able to see. As, as Caleb prayed earlier, we ourselves are, are dirty. And it only is you that can make us clean it is only you that can make us righteous it's only uh, you that can remove our iniquities and as we look at these humble men these these men that now for the first time in 70 years are are back in the land of jerusalem joshua and, and zerubbabel and now having to take this the remnant the this fledgling nation and and establish all these customs again all, all these you know, desire to come before you and rebuild the temple and, and the desire for the priests to, to be holy themselves and, and to take their place before you. We ourselves are called to be a holy nation. We, are, we ourselves are called to be a people set apart. We, are, we ourselves are called to be priests to your holy name. And so, Lord, we thank you for inhabiting us. We thank you uh, for being here with us tonight, Lord. I thank you so much for these, my friends, and my family gathered here uh, tonight, not only giving up their Wednesday, but also that uh, they're here in, uh, in July, Lord. And I ask that you just bless them for being here, Lord. And bless those that are watching online, those that may be watching in the future, Lord. We love you so much. We ask that your word would go forth with power tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, Zechariah is one of those uh, books in the old testament that uh, you know normally we don't have a sermon from zechariah per se unless you go to a church that goes through the bible and and thank god that there's uh, many of those around even in Bakersfield to go go through the bible but on wednesday nights we go just straight through the bible uh we we just start at the beginning and go straight through and and very, very soon, I mean, it's going to be quicker than you think. We're going to be done with the Old Testament, right? And you're going to, you know, be starting the New Testament. It's going to be uh, amazing, but but you're going to look back with those fond memories. And if you've been here the whole time or even just for parts of the scriptures, you can always uh, refer back to the, uh, the recordings and stuff. And by, by the way, John back there is all by himself, and he's doing an amazing job. Uh, you know giving up his <laughs> wednesday he he you should see if you just turn around during the worship I mean he's doing all the buttons he's doing all the monitors you know it's a it's amazing what uh we've been blessed with with John and Jeff and Dean and all the various guys that are in the the back there uh, but this story that we're we're reading here in the book of of Zechariah, starting here in chapter uh three, is to the people that are what are called the post-exilic Jews, okay? These are the Jews that have come out of Babylon. After 70 years, they've been in a foreign country, uh, serving a foreign nation, and God has blessed them and put them back into uh, their own land, as he promised to do after 70 years, according to the prophecies of Jeremiah and other uh, prophets. And so they are now in the land, and the first thing they do is they start building uh, the temple. They start rebuilding this temple that had been destroyed by the Babylonians. And so they lay the foundation, and in the first two chapters, Zechariah is reminding them or warning them that you laid this amazing foundation, but then you stopped. You started a good work, and then you stopped. And then you started building your own houses, right? Which were easily distracted, especially as as human uh, beings. But if you read the first two chapters, it wasn't just, you know, building their houses. It was making their houses nice and fancy, you know. They had paneling on the walls. They had all the nice things. And nothing to knock that. It's just that they prioritized those things over the temple itself. And so men like Ezra and Nehemiah and Haggai and Zechariah all um, you know, go to the people and, and desire that they rebuild uh, uh, the temple. And so the very first thing that happens after the temple is rebuilt is now the priests are commissioned. The, this new generation of priests that didn't have a temple before. In fact, Joshua here, the high priest, this is the Joshua that wrote the book of Joshua, you know, some thousand years before this. This is a, a Joshua, the high priest that lived during this time. And, and Joshua, the high priest, this is the first time he's ever served in the temple. In fact, he's the new generation, the first of the high priests, the first of the priests that are now being dedicated to serve in a new temple in uh, Jerusalem. And so, there's always trepidation, especially if you start a, a new job, especially a job where it is a very high requirement to be in that position. You see, not only did they have to descend from the line of Aaron, not only did they have to come from the tribe of Levi, but they had to meet the requirements, the you know st- established requirements, all the way back in Leviticus, that we're going to see in just a little bit, of being a high priest. Because this was a high calling. that No one could just step into the role and, and just automatically become a priest. It was a very, very high calling. But above and beyond that, there was uh, these uh, you know outer garments that they had to wear. And every single one of these outer garments had a symbolical meaning behind them that always pointed to jesus christ it always pointed to uh the new testament in fact in exodus chapter 28 and we're not going to read the whole chapter just for uh time's sake but you can read the whole chapter yourself we're just going to read a couple of sections here in exodus chapter 28 verses 4 through 6 we read this Uh, these are the garments which they shall make a breast piece and an ephod and a robe, and a tunic of checkered work, a turban, and a sash, and they shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons, in order for him to minister as priest to me. They shall take the gold, and the blue, and the purple, and the scarlet material, and the fine linen, and they shall also make the ephod of gold, of blue and purple and scarlet materials and fine twisted linen, the work of a skillful designer. You see, the accouterments of the priest, the, the the garments of the priest, were there on purpose. You see, they would wear what was called an ephod. And, and this breastplate that was put onto the breast of the priest that he would strap around his shoulders that would hang from his chest had 12 stones in it. And each of these stones represented the 12 tribes of Israel. So every time he would go into the Holy of Holies, he was bearing, carrying the 12 tribes with him as a representation before God. In fact, in verse 36 there of Exodus chapter 28, we read this, you shall also make a plate of pure gold and shall engrave on it like the engravings of a signet holy to Yahweh. Now we're reading the Legacy Standard Bible. We're just using this version just for uh, the minor prophets, the the last 12 books of the, the Old Testament. And the reason why we're doing it is because the Legacy Standard Bible uh, translates the name of God as Yahweh rather than, you know, like a normal translation, the New King James Version or other versions of the, the Bible as capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And rather than writing it out in, in a uh, capitalization, they, they actually translate it into Yahweh so it's easier to see And you notice when you read the minor prophets, the name of God is personal. It's very, very uh, used quite a lot throughout the minor prophets. And so this engraving that is on, that is going to be on the turban of the high priest, this plate of gold that's going to hang from his turban defines who this high priest is. The the very title of the priest as he comes before uh, the Lord. Look at what it says there in verse 37. You shall fasten it on a blue cord. It shall be on the turban. It shall be at the front of the turban. By the way, not on the back, it's on the front. Who's the only one that can see it is God himself as he's seeing this priest bearing this ephod with the representation of all the stones These 12 tribes represented before God, holy to Yahweh. In verse 38, and I love this, it shall be on Aaron's forehead, and Aaron shall take away the iniquity of the holy things, which the sons of Israel set apart as holy, with regard to all their holy gifts. Next shall be continually on his forehead, that they may be accepted before Yahweh. So now Joshua, the high priest, during the time of Zechariah, during the the post-exilic nation, this remnant that's come back, this new generation of priests, he's now having to go through this process of purification. And he has this vision, he has this dream in the middle of the night. I don't know if you've ever had a dream like this, but he is filthy. He's he just covered in filth, and it's not just dirt. It's his sin, and he knows it. I'm a sinful man. How can I represent the people of God? How, how can I even come into a place that is called the holy of holies? How, how can I even do that? No one can meet the requirements of holiness without the Lord. And especially now, as he's going to get this turban on his head, as he's going to get this nameplate on his head, he's going to wear this ephod, as he's going to wear uh, these robes, he's going to represent the people before God himself. And by the way, if you read the rest of Exodus chapter 28, just to kind of sum it up, there was a, 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 a hymn around the bottom of the robe. And the bottom of this robe had alternating uh, objects. that had, had a pomegranate and had a bell, a pomegranate and a bell, a pomegranate and a bell. And so this noise, this tinkling sound as the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. And, and, and Exodus really brings this out. It's a sign to see if the guy's still alive. Because what would happen if the high priest didn't purify himself correctly? Or if he went with an unrighteous, or went in like Eli's sons drunk, or even Aaron's sons drunk. And what would happen to them? Boom. Because it was a high requirement to be the high priest. And so Joshua, in his own heart, knows that he himself is impure. He himself is sinful. But what does the Lord say to him? And I love this. This is one of the most beautiful pictures. And and just picture yourself as, you know, a person of sin. We all do. But the understanding is, how does God see you right now? Is there cleansing power in the blood of the Lamb? And that's that's only through Jesus Christ, by the way. And the the next picture that we're going to see in chapter 6, is going to make this all clear, because it's going to be amazing. Because now the Messiah, not only as the, the king, the one descended from the line of David, but he's also going to be a high priest too. And he's not only going to be a king and a high priest, but he's going to sacrifice himself for the people. I mean, it's just beautiful pictures that we're going to see here uh, tonight. It says there in verse 4 of Zechariah chapter 3, and he answered and he spoke to those who were standing before him saying, remove the filthy garments from him and he gets and he, again he said to him see i have made your iniquity pass away from you and will clothe you with festal robes you guys know what festal robes are these are party robes these are the stuff that you would wear to a party is going to church supposed to be, oh, woe is me, I got to go to church again, put on my suit and tie, you know, all those things, right? We, we, we go to Calvary Chapel, so no one wears a suit and tie up here, you know? I, I, I was watching Pastor Mike Atkinson give the announcements, and he's up here with, you know, shorts, T-shirt, and a hat on, you know? It's, like, wonderful, you know? Uh, it, but, but how does God see you? Does he look on the outside, we understand that. He, he doesn't look on the outside. Where does he see your heart? It's right there beside him. As already holy if you have Jesus Christ living in you right now. He, he sees Jesus' righteousness. Not, not your righteousness. Not, not my righteousness. He sees Jesus' righteousness. He says, take away the iniquity. Put on these festal robes. Verse 5, uh, then I said, let them put a clean turban on his head and this is why exodus chapter 28 is so important because now you understand why it's not just the robes it's the turban on the head and what was on the turban that gold plate that said holy to yahweh that said holy to yahweh That, that engraving that was put there not not the worth of the high priest not not the you know the the, the standard of, of the high priest. It was because of the one who lived in the high priest. His standing before God, his heart, as we're going to see later on as well. You see, who is accusing the high priest, by the way? Satan. It's not the high priest. It's not Joshua that's going to rebuke him. Who rebukes him? And I love this. Because you read the book of Jude. By, by the way, that Jude doxology joke that we just sang earlier tonight comes from the book of Jude. And Jude, it's the same thing. You know, when Michael is arguing with Satan, he says, The Lord rebuke. I, I can't rebuke Satan. I, I would never even think. Who is the one that stands up for us? God. There's power. In God, it says there in verse 2, And Yahweh said to Satan, Yahweh, rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, Yahweh, who has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. He is the one that has power to rebuke, not us. It's only through the power of God. And we're just the ones that get the benefits, thank God. continues on there in verse 6 of Zechariah chapter 3. And the angel of Yahweh testified to Joshua, saying, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, if you will walk in my ways, if you will keep the responsibility given by me, then you will also render justice in my house and also keep my courts, and I will grant you access to walk among these who are standing here. But by the way, this is personal to Joshua. This is personal to the high priest. This is the new, the standard, if you will, of the next generation that is coming to serve in a new temple in Jerusalem. Now listen, Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who are sitting in front of you, indeed, they are men who are a wondrous sign, for behold, I'm going to bring in my servant the branch. I don't want to go too much into this phrase, because we're going to see a lot more detail in this in chapter 6, but this is referring to the Messiah, the the branch, the one who's going to be, in the New Testament, the vine from which comes us, those people that come out the the vine, okay? This branch that's going to come out from the line of Judah, the, the one from whom the king Would come, the Messiah, the anointed one, would come. Look at what it says there in verse 9. For behold, the stone that I've put before Joshua, on one stone are seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave an inscription on it, declares Yahweh of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. How powerful is God! And by the way, this happened when Jesus died. What happened to sin? Conquered. What happened to death? Dead. What happened to the power of Hades and hell? All conquered because of Jesus Christ and what he did for us. One day, gone. Iniquity conquered. Look at what it says there in verse 10. In that day declares Yahweh of hosts, every one of you, will call for his neighbor to sit under his vine and under his uh, fig tree. When the Messiah comes, he will remove iniquity in one day. This this miracle that is going to take place no longer under the bondage of sin and hell. Iniquity gone. By, By the way, when you accept Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, what happens to you in that instant, in that day? you have to work to somehow remove all your iniquity? Do I have to pay some sort of penance to get rid of my iniquity? Do I have to somehow pray for my, you know, whoever it is that I love that's in a certain place that I have to get out of that certain place? No. What happens to your sin when you accept Jesus Christ? Gone. Instantly gone. The power of the Messiah. And then Zechariah is pointing to this. Joshua is looking forward to this. Joshua being the high priest now getting these responsibilities, getting these instructions. In Zechariah chapter four, verse one, it continues on. And then the angel who was speaking with me returned. He roused me as a man who is aroused from his sleep. And he said to me, What do you see? And I said, I see behold a lampstand all of gold with its bowl on the top of it and its seven lamps on it with seven spouts belonging to each of the lamps which are on top of it. So we go from uh, uh, the the office of the high priest. We go from the the office of the high priest with all of his garments, with his turban, his plate, his ephod, with his robes, all these things. And now we go into what is called the holy place. Because as you would walk into the temple complex there is certain sections there there was a section for the gentiles there was a, a section for the women there was a section for the men and then as you walked into the temple there was a place that was only for the priests it's called the holy place and and by the way uh, th- this is a section where every single one of the priests even if you weren't the high priest you could go into this place this was the the holy place and in the holy place there was a table Uh, There was this uh, menorah that we're going to see here. And then there was this amazing uh, 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 curtain or blockage between the next section, which only the high priest could enter into once a year. And that's called the Holy of Holies. And so Zechariah, he's seeing the holy place and he sees this menorah. And I don't know if you've ever seen a menorah before, but a menorah is just a candle uh, stand. Okay. Okay. It has a single base, and from that base comes uh, these branches, okay? There will be uh, seven branches, and in the middle, there's a single a branch that would come up, and each of these branches had a place for a wick or a uh, a light source. And in each of these candle holders or these, these holders, there would be oil. And the oil had to be from a certain recipe. It could only be used in... Uh, This menorah can only be used in the holy place. And then every single day, the wicks that were lit had to be trimmed. I don't know if you've ever, you know, trimmed wicks before. Uh, Maybe, a, a, you know, a a camp, you know, a a light or something like that, a kerosene light or something like that. And what happens with a wick after it's burnt? It, It has this crust on it, right? And in order to prevent the, the smoke from continuing to billow out, what they would do is every day they would cut the wicks. They would, they would trim the wicks so that it would be a fresh wick for the next day. A fresh wick for the next day, okay? And so this is what uh, Zechariah is seeing. Also in the holy place, verse 3, also two olive trees by it one on the right side of the bowl and on the other on its left side. And then I answered and I said to the angel who was speaking with me saying, what are these, my Lord? So the angel who was speaking with me answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. And Zechariah is being very honest. He says in verse 6, then he answered and spoke to me, this is the word of Yahweh to Zerubbabel, saying, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says Yahweh of hosts. You probably have heard that before. You just didn't remember where it was. Guess what? It's right here. Okay? This is one of those, you know, older songs, not by my, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. You know, one of those songs that I remember when I, I was young. This is one of those verses that really speaks volumes to now the next office. Because in chapter 3, we see the office of high priest, and now we see the office of the governor. You see, as you remember from last week, uh, there's no longer a king in Jerusalem. The kings ended at the conquering by Babylon of Jerusalem. And now, from now on, it's just going to be governors until the Messiah comes, until the Messiah sits on the throne in Jerusalem, okay? So from now on, there's going to be governors, and this title of governor is given now to the first governor in the post-exilic remnant, or Jerusalem, that is now here. And Zerubbabel just means born in Babylon. That's what his name means. And so he's never even been to Jerusalem, he is now given this role, this office of governor, and he is now also, just like Joshua, has trepidation, has fears, has, you know, that these, you know, uh, am I really able to do this job of governor in the land of Jerusalem? But look at what it says there. It says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says Yahweh of hosts. Remember last week, we, we heard at the very end of Haggai that Zerubbabel was going to be a signet ring for the Lord. His stamp, if you will. The, the one for whom God would make a stamp for him as his own signet ring. The authority of God behind the authority of Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel, you know, he, he didn't have any authority in his own right. You know, they're, they're still having to rely upon not only you know, Babylon, but also these other nations that are, you know, coming down on them in terms of the walls being built. People are mocking them. They're they're just a a reject nation that just happens to be able to now rebuild the walls and rebuild the land. And the governor, Zerubbabel, is now having these these fears himself. And I, I don't have a standing army. I don't have power myself. And what does God say to him? Just as he says to every single one of us, by the way, when we're in our own place of feeling like we're unworthy, who gives you power? Who gives you authority? Who gives you strength and might? It comes from the Lord. By my spirit, says the Lord, but it doesn't end there. Verse 7, what are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become a plain. And he will bring forth the top stone with shouts of great grace to it. This is one of the most amazing sayings. And, and normally people just end at, you know, verse 6 there. Not by my, not by power, but by my spirit. But what is the power that comes from the authority of God? That mountain is going to become a plain. That, that huge massive obstacle god's gonna bring it down and by the way jesus refers to the same thing what what will a, a single mustard seed of faith do and he used the same illustration by the way jesus does and, and, and whether the jews realized it or not or whether we realize it or not going all the way back here to the book of zechariah what will he do if you speak to that mountain what will happen to it Wow. Jesus, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And by the way, he ends with that word grace, grace, grace. What's the power behind Jesus Christ himself? How are you saved? But By my own strength, my own bootstraps, by by my own works of right? No, of course not. It's 100% by grace. nothing that we earn right verses 8 through 10 continues on also the word of yahweh came to me saying the hands of zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house and his hands will finish it then you will know that yahweh of hosts has sent me to you there's going to be a sign and it's going to happen within the lifetime of zerubbabel that this house that was started this temple that was started it is going to be finished and by the way it was a massive work especially for now a a remnant of people a fledgling nation if you will and by the way who's funding the temple who's funding the wall who's funding this nation cyrus is right He's the one that gave them the materials. He's the one that gave them the ability to be able to do this. And and of course, you know, why would a foreign king do this? Why would he even think to do this? It's because of God, right? How how God used a foreign nation to bring about the rebuilding of Israel itself. And so Zerubbabel, he he feels unworthy. Are, Are we really going to be able to do this, God? In verse 10, I love this verse for who has despised the day of small things? But these seven will be glad when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These are the eyes of Yahweh which roam to and fro throughout the earth. I talked to many of you and, and you see people like you know, Anthony or Kevin or or these guys that do a lot of things around the church. You know, you see the guys in the back. They do a lot of things. They're here on, you know, Thursdays. They're here on Wednesdays. They're here on Sundays. They're here throughout the week. And, and they do all these wonderful things for the church. And, and when, when we, we kind of sometimes elevate people like that, you know, and they're the servants, but yet they do so much for the church, right? Without these people, you know, and, you know a lot of things wouldn't get done. And then, and then you know, the, Those people that feel like maybe, you know, you're older or you don't have those abilities or you feel like, you know, I I, I don't do as much. It's not the things that you do for the Lord. It's your relationship with the Lord. That's the most important. Because God has given each and every single one of us talents, abilities, and gifts. Are you using your gift? Whatever it is. It doesn't matter what it is. The Holy Spirit is the one that gives them out. Not me. Not, Not you. It's the Holy Spirit that gives those gifts out. Are you using your gift to build up the church? Whether it's praying, maybe God's told you to pray for someone, pray for them. Maybe God's told you to, you know, clean the bathrooms, clean the bathrooms. That's good, right? We all need to have clean bathrooms, right? Or or maybe God God asks you to, you know, ask Pastor Mike Atkinson for, you know, a certain position or a certain job. and, And whether it's, you know, just helping out around the church on your day off, whatever it may be. Or coming on a Monday night or coming on a Wednesday night or coming on Sundays or Friday nights or whenever it is. Or maybe it's in your own job and ministry or your own household. Those people that don't even go to church that you can reach in your own sphere of influence. The, the, the things that we think are small, right? We, we, I, I'm not doing the pastor's job or something like that. I, I'm not... You know, evangelizing to thousands of people. No, God doesn't call you that. What does he call you to do? Do what I tell you to do. The small things, right? Don't neglect the day of small things. Don't don't be ashamed of the small things. Because who sees them? Every single one of them that you do in his name, by the way. It's not, not the things that you do for yourself. It's the things you do for the Lord. Who sees every single one of those? When we do those in private or we do those without anyone, you know, seeing us or the accolades or whatever it is. It's the Lord that sees and The Lord makes it known. Thank God for that. Verse 13, it continues on there. Uh yeah. Um nope, I'm sorry. Uh the day of small things. Where am I? Uh, <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> thank you. Yes. Okay. Uh yeah, ver- what what verse? 11, thank you. Then he answered, what are these two olive trees on the right of the lampstand? Thank you so much. There was one other thing that I wanted to bring out in verse 10, uh, Plum line. What is the plumb line? We we saw the plumb line, you know, uh, a couple of months ago, I think it was, when we were in the book of Amos, we saw a plumb line. A plumb line is just a string with a weight at the end. It, it proves true a uh, perpendicular true parallel true up and down right it, it, the true vertical or excuse me the the true vertical with us and god the true way to uh, the lord these are the eyes of the lord which roam to and fro throughout the earth see i need your guys' help see thank you so much for helping me god sees and does not despise the small things that we do for him Verse 11 Then I answered and said to him, What are these two olive trees on the right of lampstand and on its left? And I answered the second time and said to him, What are the two olive branches which are beside the two golden pipes which empty the golden oil from themselves? So he spoke to me, saying, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. Then he said, These are the two anointed ones who are standing by the Lord of the whole earth the anointed ones are the political office and the religious office of the jews the 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 political office zerubbabel and, and the you know the the uh, uh religious office the high priest joshua standing before the lord of the whole earth does, does god see these humble men that are serving him as his anointed ones now that, you know, you notice here that the word "anointed" has a small a. If it's a capital a, uh, which we're going to see in chapter six, uh, it's going to be referring to the Messiah. Uh, but in this case, it's referring to uh, Joshua and Zerubbabel in this in this instance here, the ones that are standing before the Lord of the whole earth, the representatives of Israel before uh, God. Chapter 5, verse 1, it continues on. Zechariah is very similar to the book of Revelation. It's the most apocalyptic of all the the minor prophets. Uh, It has a lot of these references that we're going to see also in the book of of Revelation. Starting here in chapter 5, verse 1, Then I lifted up my eyes again and saw, and behold, a flying scroll. And he said to me, What do you see? And I said, I, I see a flying scroll. Its length is 20 cubits, and its width, 10 cubits. A cubit is 18 inches, so this would be 30 uh, by 15 feet. This is massive, okay? I don't know if you've ever seen a scroll before, uh, but a scroll is just a, a uh, rolled-up piece of, whether it's papyra or or leather or some sort of, of writing uh, paper. This is massive. This is a huge piece of scroll. 15 feet by 30 feet uh, long. And, and it's not just laying on the ground. What is it doing? Flying, okay? This is pretty cool. This is before science fiction, by the way. You know, this, this is before any of the movies that you you watch. This is one of those events that takes place in uh, the book of Zechariah. And it has a meaning because not only is it written on one side, but it's written on both sides. Look at what it says there in verse 3. And then he said to me, this is the curse that is going forth over the face of the whole land. Surely everyone who steals will be purged away according to the writing on one side, and everyone who swears will be purged away according to the writing on the other side. This is scary, by the way. Because on one side, what is the curse? What, what is the warning? What is the writing over this thirty by 15 feet scroll? It, it, it says here, and I, it, it's amazing the way the descriptions is, it's all about stealing. It, it's all about the you know, the things that you steal. And, and, and can you imagine? All these things that are on this side of the road, all the things that the people of Israel have stolen, all the things that people in the earth have stolen, just filling one side of the scroll. And then on the other side, what is the curse? What is the warning? Lying or deceit. Can you imagine all all those uh, cursings, those swears, those lying that's on the other side. All, all the things that people say, you know, that we just take flippantly. Blaspheming the Lord. Just letting us, you know, act like the world in our language. All, all the things that we say just without thinking, if you will. And, and can you imagine is this, this massive scroll that, by the way, is flying that people can see from a distance going about warning the people the curse if you will all these things come from the mouth all these things by the way the nation of israel was guilty of that's why they went into bondage in the first place remember their hearts were hard Uh, their necks were stiff they had disobeyed the lord they did not want to return to uh, the lord Verse 4, it says, I will make it go forth, declares Yahweh of hosts, and it will enter the house of the thief and the house of the one who swears falsely by my name, and it will spend the night within that house and consume it with its timbers and its uh, stone. What is happening to the judgment of God? By, by the way, this is very visual, okay? Can, can you imagine this, you know, flying scroll entering your house? Okay? And it's a warning, and it, you know, probably these personal things are on it. Does God see? Does God hear? Does God know? But the good thing about what God does, and this is the difference between the accusations of Satan, the accusations of the accuser, the accusations of the devil himself. In the case of the Lord, it's always meant to repair and bring back the people. It's always meant to cause people to change their heart. Where Satan, when he accuses, it's always to put you down, right? It's always to, you know, put you in a place where you don't want to get back up again. And that's the difference. In fact, there in verse 5, it continues on. Then the angel who was speaking with me went out and said to me, lift up now your eyes and see what is going forth. So I said, what is it? And he said, it is an ephah uh, going forth. Again, he said, this is their appearance in all of the land. So the first thing you see is this scroll. And now we're going to see this lady with this wicker basket. And of course, this, this wicker basket was, uh, had a certain measurement, an ephah, uh, which, which would be like a half a bushel. It was a, a, a form of dry measurement. And normally what would happen is you would fill up these these uh, baskets with grain, and th- these were used to store your grain during the the year. You know, it was made, meant to be dry; it wasn't supposed to be wet because what would happen if it was wet grain? It would go bad. But as long as the grain stayed dry, it could keep for a long uh, period of time. And of course, a wicker basket allows for air circulation. It allows for all the you know the uh, the pr- uh, preservation of the of the whatever grain it was, whether it was wheat or barley or or whatever grain it was. But this one in verse 7, it says, And behold, a lead cover was lifted up. And this is a woman sitting inside the ephah. Okay? So this ephah, which normally would either have a a cloth covering or or some sort of a a light covering, maybe a, a piece of wood or something like that, this has a lead covering. Okay, that's the first thing that we see. And of course, lead is extremely heavy. It is weighing down on this basket, this wicker basket. And what is inside? What is inside? A woman. Okay? What does it say there? Then he said, this is wickedness. And he threw her down into the middle of the ephah and threw the lead weight on its opening. And I lifted up my eyes and saw, and behold, two women were coming out with the wind in their wings, and they had wings like the wings of a stork. And they lifted up the ephah between the earth and the heavens. And I, I said to the angel who was speaking with me, "Where are they taking the ephah?" And he said to me, "Build a house for her in the land of Shinar. When it is prepared, she will be set there on her own uh, pedestal." Something happens in this story that this. this this uh, uh, parable, if you will, this, this illustration of what is happening. The wickedness that is in Jerusalem is being taken to Babylon. Shinar here is Babylon, okay? Now, the interesting part is uh, these, these two women that come with the wings of the stork, have you ever seen uh, a stork's wing? They're massive. You know, six feet in, in, in length. You know, I don't, I don't know if you've ever, especially when you walk down the bike path or walk along the river and you see all these amazing birds out there because they're migrating because now we have water actually in the Kern River, you know? And, and so all these birds are there. And sometimes these birds are just massive, right? And they have beautiful wings and they breed beautiful long necks and all these things. But But imagine these storks, okay? Uh, that, that have these huge wings but not just a bird it's it's women with these wings and they're taking this basket that has this lead uh lid on it and it's represented as the wickedness that is in jerusalem and where is it being taken to shinar babylon right And and the the interesting part here, as we see with both of these sections, it's always a warning. Are you going to go back to Babylon? Are you going to go back to the place that you went to in bondage? Or are you going to remain free? Or are you going to follow the Lord? Because the warning is there. In fact, at the end of the book of Malachi, we're going to see another warning. And it's one of the worst curses that God could do. It's worse than bondage. It's worse than being conquered by a nation. It's worse than anything that the nation of Israel had ever experienced. And it's going to be silence from the Lord for 400 years until the Messiah comes. And it's going to be the scariest judgment that God's going to bring upon His people. Chapter 6, verse 1. We have about 10 more minutes. I, I, I love to make sure that we, we, especially starting in chapter 3 with the dirty robes and the priests and then Zerubbabel and then these, these various uh, uh, you know apocalyptic warnings, if you will. And, and now as we get into chapter 6, we see the prophecies that are going to point to not only the Messiah, but also to uh, the book of Revelation. Chapter 6, verse 1, Then I lifted up my eyes again and saw, behold, the four chariots were coming forth from between the two mountains and the mountains were bronze mountain with the first chariot were red horses with the second chariot black horses with the third chariot white horses with the fourth chariot dappled horses all of them mighty where have you heard that before probably not chariots but the horses yeah book of revelation right In the four horsemen now in this case these are chariots and they're pulled by multiple horses this would have been you know uh, a symbol of you know the, the times if you will because this time there there's chariots especially the Babylonian empire which is the one that uh, rules the world of the world power at this time they were known for their army they were known for their chariots would which would have been the tanks of the day Uh, These were fast, uh, you know, troops that were able to move into battle and cause terror amongst the uh, infantry that they were fighting against. And all these different colored horses. But then in verse 4, and this is where we see the definition of this, then I answered and said to the angel who was speaking with me, what are these, my Lord? By the way, Zechariah is asking lots of questions, and it's okay to question God, thank God. Does he welcome our questions? by the way. Every single one of these. He doesn't know the answer to any of these things. He, he keeps asking God, oh, what does this mean? What is, and then that's okay. God, God wants us to ask. He even tells us verse 5, And the angel answered and said to me, These are the four spirits of heaven going forth after standing before the Lord of all the earth with one with the black horses are going forth to the north country and the white ones go forth after them and the dappled ones go forth to the south country now the mighty ones went out and they sought to go to patrol the earth and he said go patrol the earth so they patrolled the earth and he cried out to me and spoke to me saying see those who are going to the land of the north have caused my spirit to have rest in the land of the north, by the way, the the nation that is you know in charge at this time after the Babylonians, you had the Persian Empire that was in charge, Cyrus and Darius, uh, the 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 kings of the the Persians and the Medes, and then after this, you have the Greek Empire, which is going to come in and, and take over the 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 Persian Empire. The, these four chariots with the different colored horses, we actually. Uh, get the meaning in terms of what they represent from the book of Revelation. And in Revelation chapter 6, we see this. Then I looked when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, as with a voice of thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him, and he went out overcoming and to overcome. And when he opened the second scroll, I heard the second living creature saying, Come, and another, a red horse, went out, and to him was set who sits on it was given to him a, to take peace from the earth, and the men would slay one another, and a great sword was given to him. And when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, Come, and I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sits on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard something like a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, One uh, Shinox of wheat for one denarius, and three Shinox of barley for one denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine A uh, famine on the land. In verse 7, when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And he who sits on it had the name Death, and Hades was following with him. Authority was given to him over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with famine, with pestilence, and by the wild beasts of the earth. What is going forth from the very throne of God, from heaven itself, being sent out? Death and destruction, plague and famine upon the earth and the same thing is going to happen not not to jerusalem itself but to the surrounding nation where persia is going to be conquered by another nation Uh, the greek empire coming down upon them Uh, verse 9 and we're we're just going to read this today because i don't want to i'll give you a homework assignment if you will okay and you can look these by the way that This prophecy that we're going to be reading, and, and we're really going to go in, in depth next week, and I, I really hope you return uh, to this. But uh, th- th- this prophecy that is uh, going to be quoted by Zechariah it is one of the most important prophecies in determining who the Messiah was going to be. Look at what it says there in verse 9. And the word of Yahweh came to me, saying... Take an offering from the exile, from Heldai, Tobijah, and Jediah. And you come the same day and come into the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah, where they have come from Babylon. And take the silver and the gold, make an ornate crown, set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Then you will say to him, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, Behold, a man whose name is Branch, and he will branch out from where he was or is, and he will build the temple of Yahweh. Indeed, he will build the temple of Yahweh, and he will bear the splendor and sit and rule on his throne, and thus he will be a priest on his throne just to set the stage here just to get you hopefully wanting to read more wanting uh, to learn about this how can a priest have a crown Where where's the crown supposed to go the king there's no king at this time it's a governor by the way and this is all an illustration now this is now pointing to something the book of hebrews describes really really well by the way better than i will next week okay the book of hebrews will will explain it so much better than i will okay but but the understanding here there is a higher priesthood it's not from the line of aaron it's a higher kingship that the messiah will come from it's a higher priesthood Yes, he'll come from the line of David. Yes, he'll sit on the throne in Jerusalem, but he will sit on the throne in heaven. And he will be a high priest to a holy generation, a holy priesthood. He he, he will not only be the priest that has access to the very throne room of God, but as the priest will lay his life down for his people. And by the way, if you come on Sunday, we're going to be in the last part of 1 Peter, chapter, the end of chapter four, uh, chapter 5 next week, and we're going to get to see not only the role of Christ in the church, but also the elders and the pastors as well, calling them to be shepherds like Jesus is. And it's going to be beautiful, by the way. It's going to be convicting, you know, not for, you know, the, the common people. It's going to be convicting, hopefully, for the elders and the, pre, but the pastors. But the privilege is that we get to see what it is like as a priest before God. The role of a shepherd. The one who is supposed to be in the very presence of God. So just to you know, kind of give you an assignment, uh, read Hebrews chapter 6 uh, this coming week. And in there we'll explain all these, um, uh, the, kind of from the Jewish uh, uh, point of view, uh, what it is like to be a priest and and why Jesus could not come from the line of Aaron. Instead, he comes from a higher line. It's called the line of uh, Melchizedek. So we'll get into this more uh, next week. By the way, if you need prayer tonight, uh, I'm willing to, to pray for you or, or counseling or whatever questions or whatever you need, uh, please come forward after uh, the service tonight. And, and And just to remind you again, uh, one service this coming Sunday only at 10:30. Uh, uh, no uh, first service for those of you that normally come uh, first service as well. Uh, okay, the 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 uh, bulletin says 10:30. Okay, it's not correct. Okay, I'll go with the elder instead of the bulletin. Okay, <laughs> 10 o'clock. Do not come at 10:30 because you're going to miss the singing. Okay, you're going to miss miss the worship. Okay, and I know the the worship will be uh, amazing. So please comment at 10 o'clock, not what the bulletin says, but at 10 uh, o'clock on Sunday. So hopefully uh, uh, hopefully it somehow gets out. Because you're going to be here at 10, right? No, you'll be here earlier. You'll be here way earlier. Yeah, I know. Um, Yeah, I'll be here early too. So Uh, yeah, thank you guys so much for being here on a Wednesday night. And please come again, uh, whether it's Friday night or or, or, uh, Sunday as well. I know you'll be blessed. And so Father... Uh, tonight as we go our separate ways lord and and we know i mean this is a a refuge this is a sanctuary lord we come in here and uh, and we know that we're accepted we know that there's people that love us there's going to be people afterwards that are going to pray for us there's people that that we can talk to and and have fun with and 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 have that joy that we we feel around like-minded christian believers And, and when we leave this place we may go to a place where you know it's not like that whether it's our family or our job or or wherever we have to go this week, the hard decisions, the problems that we're going to be facing as we walk out this door. And so, Lord, I ask that you be with these, my friends and my family, as you bless them tonight. That we would we would savor these times, that we would savor the times that we can come and 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 tell the person behind the pulpit where he's at, Lord. You know, where where we can, you know, have that privilege of learning from your word, where we can come and and worship You for who You are. So Lord, I ask that You would use us this week for Your glory. That as we've been refreshed tonight, that we would take that refreshment and maybe even give it away to someone else this week. That we would share maybe something that we learned tonight. That we would give hope to a person without hope. We would give joy to a person without joy, Lord. So Lord, I thank You so much for the privilege that we have this time of refreshment that we would we would savor we would we would enjoy it we would glory in it today lord we love you so much for who you are in jesus name we pray amen amen god bless you